got one of these, pull it out. We're in Luke chapter 14, by the way. The kingdom is like finding power in the parables of Jesus. We talked a little bit last week about the parables. One-third of all of Jesus' teaching was done with this, what they call the parabolic method, teaching in parables, teaching sort of in these like, you know, allegories or earthly kind of stories to communicate these spiritual truths. And everywhere he went, he was trying to communicate, you know, largely answering one question, what is the kingdom like? What's the kingdom of God like? So many of us, not all of them, many of his parables would begin with those words. The kingdom is like, and he would go on to talk about it. And last week we, you know, we kind of looked at some of his shorter ones from Matthew, I believe, 13, where he said the kingdom is like a, you know, a, a treasure hidden in a field or you know, a priceless pearl, um, those kind of things. So we are in Luke chapter 14. If you're, if, you're, if you're not there, go ahead and flip there. And while you're flipping there, if you're new to our church relatively, or if you're here for the first time, you may be wondering what kind of church we are. I've got to tell you, some days I wonder that too. What, exact, what, what kind of church are we exactly? It reminded me of a story. If, if you're older than 40, if you're like my age or older, you might know the name Tony Campolo. He's kind of, you know, he's somewhat retired now, but back in my generation, he was a well-known um, Christian author and Christian speaker. He'd be at conferences and all these things. And he tells this story. He says one, one particular time he was doing a conference or an event in Honolulu, and he, he was out and he'd finished speaking this event, and jet lag had kept him up at the end of this in his hotel room. So he goes for a walk late at night. It's about two in the morning in the streets of Honolulu, and he finds this donut shop. And uh, he goes in, begins to have a cup of coffee and donuts, and, you know, there's other, a few other people behind him. Some, some ladies are behind him, and he overhears these two people talking, and it becomes clear that they're not just ordinary, you know, businesswomen. These are, in fact, prostitutes. He overhears them talking about it. And in their conversation, one of them turns out, her name is Agnes. She begins to talk about how today or tomorrow, in fact, was going to be her birthday. And the other people were, you know, the other prostitute friends, you know, were talking about those kind of things. And Agnes goes on her way, and, and, and Tony Campolo says he has an idea. And he just sort of begins to think, you know, he turns to these other women and says, I, you know, introduces himself and said, I couldn't help it over here. I have a crazy idea. I'm here for a few more days. You don't know me, but what if we had a birthday party for your friend Agnes? They kind of look at him like, you're a raving lunatic, but okay, we're open. And they begin to talk about this, and they, you know, soon this idea emerges. Yeah, we can do it right here at the donut shop the next night, and so-and-so can come, and you know, the, the, the cook sticks his head out from the window and offers to make a cake for Agnes for her birthday the next night. Um, so uh, the next night, that's, that, that, that same thing happens. They're all gathered in, and they've made arrangements for Agnes to show up, and all of a sudden, Agnes shows up, and they surprise, it's a birthday party for you, Agnes. And they all begin to sing to her, happy birthday. And she's, of course, just stunned, you know, wasn't expecting this. And, and uh, they gather around, and, and, and they're, they give her, there's the cake, blow out the candle, the whole thing, and they give her the knife to cut the cake, and Agnes just can't seem to cut the cake. Tears are kind of rolling down her face, and she, almost there, and she says, you know, I, I'm really sorry, but is it okay if I just, took this cake home to show my mom. Maybe, maybe we can just have donuts or something else. And they're like, sure, okay. And, you know, so she actually wraps up the cake and, and, and she picks up and goes home, takes her mom. Um, she's, and she was telling him she's never had a birthday party before in her life. And there's this awkward silence after she leaves, you know. <laughs> it's like, what do we do now? We have a party and the guest of honor is gone. And, of course, Tony Campolo, you know, like any other good you know, Christian pastor decides, well, let's pray. 
So he does. He, he begins to pray out loud. He says, dear God, thank you for Agnes. Thank you for her life. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. That's the best gift of all. Amen. Of course, the others were bowing their heads too. All of a sudden, the cook sticks his hat out of the window and says, hey, wait a minute. You're not a preacher, are you? And Tony sort of, sort of sheepishly says, yeah, actually, um, I, I, am a, I actually am a preacher. That's why I'm here. And one of the prostitutes says, what kind of church do you have? And for a few seconds, he wasn't sure what to say. He's like, I don't know what to tell him. But he just sort of had this flash of illumination. He says, the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes. And I heard that, you know, I heard that story years ago. And I revisited again. And I just said, that's, I want to be a part of a church like that. Right? I want to be a part of a church who loves to throw parties. And not just parties for ourselves, but parties just for anybody that is... That, that, that has the heart of God. Um, here's the good news, though, is that we have, we have a God who is like loves to have parties. He does. I can see it in his word. You know, all through the Old Testament. In fact, all the laws of the Old Testament, there's a whole lot of thou shalt nots. You know, we're very familiar with those. But there's also a whole lot of thou shalts. And one of those thou shalts are mandatory parties that the people of Israel are to celebrate every single year. We call them festivals, but that's what they are, right? Wouldn't it be great? Maybe we should do this. Megan, we need to write into our membership covenants. If you want to be a member of King's Church, you must be here every single time we have a family feast Sunday. We're going to take attendance. You got to come. You got to bring your family. You got to bring your friends. You got to bring food. You got to be here at the parties. We don't care about everything else. That's how God was in the Old Testament. You've got to show up for these events. Because he loves that. He, he just, there's something about the heart of God. He's all about these sort of, uh, these sort of um, gatherings. In Luke's gospel as well, there's a huge emphasis on eating and drinking and feasting. 32 times it's mentioned. More than once per chapter in this gospel. And here in chapter 14 and 15, there's a party mentioned five different times. So if we're, if we're serious about learning more, what's the kingdom like, we pay attention to these things. And it's no coincidence because some of, some of Jesus' most important teaching times happen around a table. It's very, uh, it's disarming to sit around and eat with someone. That's part of the reason that Meg and I, we, we love to have our home open. That's why we, this church began as a Friday night gathering with food and prayer and just fellowship together. Even now, we still are trying to make an effort to have every single you know, person who's coming into King's Church over to our house. I know we've, we've kind of gotten behind on some of that, but there's just something so disarming and comfortable about being in a home around table with food and drink. And Jesus knows this, and he takes advantage of these times to teach more about, uh, about the kingdom. So in Luke chapter 14, here's the setting. The setting is on a Sabbath at the home of a Pharisee. This is just a tinderbox waiting to explode. And this rarely happens. Pharisees, 
This is one of the very few times where Jesus is invited into the home of Pharisee because usually they don't, they don't really tend to have a lot of respect for him. He breaks all of the rules. He hangs out with the wrong people. He says the wrong things. He's offensive left and right. And, and, but for some reason, here he is in the home of this Pharisee, and he's, he's there with a whole lot of important people. It says this in 14 verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? He asked him a question. Guys, what should I do? Here we are, this individual coming in who has this physical condition. But according to your traditions, we cannot do any healing on this day right now. So is it lawful to heal him or is it not? Does the law of mercy outweigh the law of, 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 of justice and righteousness? But they remain silent. They tend to do this. You know, they, they, I don't know. I'm not going to say anything. Every answer I give is wrong. So, but they remain silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed them and sent him away. He heals him, goes on, heals him. And then he sort of gives these, um, he begins to talk a little bit more about um, parables, about how we are to respond when the people are in our home. He's given these teaching instructions, sort of like this etiquette lessons on this. So let's, I want to skip a little bit of this, though. You know, he, he's, he's, he's urging them, when people come in to, uh, to your home, you know, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Um, and he talks to the host, and he says, whenever you're hosting a party, don't invite all the well-to-dos. Don't invite the ones that are, that are, that are the A-listers. He says, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. But go on to this, let's go to verse 15 though. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. So there's another example, there's some awkward silence. You know, Jesus has just offended everyone in the room. He's offended the host. He's offended the people there. And whoever this person is trying to like make a light of it says, okay, Blessed is he who eats at the table and eats at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus then begins to tell this parable. And it says this in 16. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. So the master of this feast in the story that Jesus tells has sent out two different invitations one is sort of a, you know, like a save the date or a head count. He's already given advance notice. He has sent out to all of his friends and all of the, the people in town saying, I'm going to have this, this celebration coming, this great banquet. I want you to come, so go ahead and put it on your calendar. And the, the people apparently have written back and said, yes, we'll be there. So now that he has a head count, he goes on and prepares everything. He orders the food and he orders the, the wine and he orders all of these things. And now it says that the time is here, and he sends out to tell those who have been invited, come for everything now is ready. So he sends out sort of now, come on, guys. But they all alike begin to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. So the servant comes in, 
you know, he says, Master, I've got some bad news. You know, I, I took the guest list, everybody that you wanted to be here, that you prepared this place for. I, I, I went out and said word, but they all have different reasons why they can't come. You know, and they're, they're not bad reasons. They're all pretty legitimate reasons, but no, nobody is coming to this party. And it says this then in, in verse 21. The master, servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servants, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And sends them out. Go out and find our A-listers aren't going to come then. Let's go get other people. Go find all the ones that wouldn't be welcome and bring them in. So the servants go. Their servants do that. You know, and just all day long they're bringing in. They're leading the blind. The blind can't see and they're making their way. And the servants are leading them. Here, have a seat right here. And they go and they, they carry in the crippled who can't walk. And they bring him in. They sit him at the table. And they, you know, they get all these other ones and surround. And they go to the master, back to the master. And it says this. It says, the servant came back. Um, Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done. We did it. We found every poor, broken, uh, crippled person that we could find in town, and we brought them in, and we sat them around your table. It says, um, it says but there's still room. In other words, there's a whole lot of room left at the table. We filled it up with all of these people you wanted, but there's still a lot of room left. The master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. And they send these servants out. And this time they're going past the city walls. They're going outside of the city, meaning they're not looking just for the Jews. They're looking for, for Gentiles and foreigners, people who wouldn't be welcome at all. Bring those in. Sit them around the table as well. And the servants go out and they do this. The servant, um, I tell you, says, so that my house may be full, I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And that's where that story ends. And the Pharisees then are, are, this is all, this is directed exclusively towards them. And I mentioned last week, uh, in, in, our, in our culture, we want to tone down the difficult things of Jesus. We want to talk about how tolerant he was, right? About how he never, he was not offensive and he was just open-minded. Um, this is not one of those times. Jesus tells a story that is right on the nose, Speaking to these people that have everything, the religious leaders that have it all, and all of their friends, the ones who have money and power and everything else, he looks at them and what he's implying is that the kingdom of God may very well not include any of you. And he kills the mood. And he says, let me tell you what the kingdom is really like. It's really not for the respectable. It's for the ones that you just think are unworthy. So Meg and I, as I mentioned, we love to host in our home. You know, we love to, to have people over. And, and um, I could be honest with you, sometimes, you know, in, in the past, we've had some families over to our home that really make me nervous. Not any of you, don't worry. In the past, some friends, some, some, some families that we've invited over that really make me nervous. And, you know, the kids are coming in. And it's not that they're dirty. It's like that they've got, like, their iPads or their things, and they're, like, you know, watching Miley Cyrus videos the whole time. They're, like, showing my kids, you know. 
Um, and, and I can kind of hear the language in the background, and I'm just praying, Lord Jesus, please don't let my children hear any of this. And that's how the Pharisees feel. The Pharisees feel that just, you know, this place is for us. And the others are not welcome. So I think that, on, that the, the power of this is in three different areas. I think, and that's the beauty of parables, right, is it can mean different things. And I think here's the first thing that it means, and it's very basically this. To the unrighteous, this story, to the un- unrighteous, to the unrighteous, this is an invitation. God is inviting you, the unrighteous, into something big and real and fun. In this parable, it's like the wedding feast for the sun, and God is inviting everybody who will come. A number of years ago, there's a, a, actually about 10 years ago in Thanksgiving, this lady named Monique White, she lived out in the Denver area. She was discouraged. She discovered that she was not able to spend Thanksgiving with her family as she had planned. Her family lived out of state, and she was going to fly. Something happened, and she couldn't go, so she's going to be at home the entire time at Thanksgiving. And she decided, and she'd already prepared all of this, you know, all this food, and, and um, you know, she, what do I do now? You know, So... She decides, she has an idea. I know. I bet there's probably another family that may not have anywhere to spend Thanksgiving. Maybe there's two families. I don't know. I don't want to put all this food to waste. So I'm going to send out, and she she gets on Craigslist, and she posts an ad. She writes it out. She says, you know, if anybody's in, in, in the Denver area on Thanksgiving and you don't have anywhere to go, you know, please message me because I'm going to be here and I promise I'm not a serial killer. I just, you know, have a lot of food that I want you to, to come and be a part of. And she was expecting, you know, maybe one or two families. She said, I really had room for maybe another four or five at my table. But instead, over the next several hours after she posts this, she she begins to get one response after the next. Soon she had a dozen responses. Soon she had just, you know, so many people responding. And and some of these people had just been laid off. They, They were writing and saying, you know, I'd just been laid off from work and I really don't have the money for this. So is it okay if me and my wife come and and be a part of it? She writes back, sure, come on over, you know. Um, Somebody else wrote and said, you know, I'm single, and my husband recently died, and I don't have anybody anywhere to go. Would it be okay if I came too? She writes, sure, come on. You know, and somebody else would write in and say, you know, I'm too too ashamed to take my family to a soup kitchen. We were were just going to be at home, but I saw your ad, and I was thinking maybe we could come and bring my kids too. She said, come on over. She said, I thought there was really no way, and soon 35, 40 people had showed up at her house. She said, I really had room for four or five. Everybody was spilling out of the room. She said, there was no way that I could determine that I could determine who was worthy to be at my table. I had to invite them all. And God knows we aren't worthy, but God still says welcome. God still says, I've, I've prepared a table for you. I prepared a feast for you. And anyone is welcome to come. We've got to be careful. Jesus is not saying that the wealthy are not welcome in the kingdom of God. That's not what he's saying at all. He's not saying that only the poor, monetarily poor, or, you know, he's not saying that those have more value, but there's something about the wealthy that tend to sort of say, I don't really need God that much. Something about wealth that kind of puts us at odds with dependency on God, and Jesus knows this, but everybody is welcome. So for the first thing, to the, to the unrighteous, it's an invitation to come and to be a part of, of what God's doing, to be a part of his kingdom. Second thing is this, I think, to the self-righteous, it's a warning. 
And that's probably sort of the main thing that Jesus was trying to get across. Be careful if you think that you deserve this. If you think that you deserve all of God's grace, be careful. If you think that you deserve to be in the kingdom because of your you know, spiritual DNA, be careful. Because of your degrees, be careful, says Jesus. You might find that you don't have a place at the table at all. And God says, because when you show up to the table, you're going to find that my guest list has more to do with those on the outside than those on the inside. Jesus says, at the table in the kingdom, there's going to be a whole lot of drunks. There's going to be a whole lot of prostitutes. There's going to be a whole lot of transvestites. There's going to be a whole lot of addicts. There's going to be a whole lot of people that know they just don't have anything to offer God except open hands to receive it. And he's saying, be careful that we don't think ourselves any more deserving of God's lavish love than anyone else. And it's so easy for those of us in church, especially in leadership, to feel that, you know, we've got, you know, we, we definitely have a place at the table, right, Chuck? I mean, come on, we've got, you know, look how worn my Bible is. I deserve a good place. I got a seminary degree for crying out loud. God says, be careful. Be careful if you think you deserve to be in there on any merit of your own because you might just find yourself on the outside. And he points to, in the parable, he points to this callousness. It's not that everybody shows up and Jesus just gets to pick, you know, the ones who have the, the, you know, the worst story. He invited everyone. But the ones, who, the ones that he gave the invitation to initially, look at all the excuses they had. And I think to myself, how many times have I made excuses not to step into the fullness of what God is calling me into? You know, I'm too busy. You know, I just, it's, it's not the right season for me. You know, I don't have the right resources. Whatever it is, I have all these excuses. And the Pharisees have all their excuses as well. To the self-righteous, it's a warning. Finally, is this, to those, and, and I want to end with this part. It's, it's maybe not as clear, but I think, it's, I think it's true in the parable. To those made righteous. In other words, those who are brought in and made righteous by the grace and the love of the king. To those who are seated at the table, it's a call to action as well. And here's why I say that. We are guests, but we're also servants. Right? You remember that? I know you do. The show Downton Abbey. Meg and I got hooked on that year, you know, back when it was on PBS and you had to watch it just like one week at a time. We got hooked on it. So, such a good show. The whole upstairs thing and the down, you know, upstairs world of, 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 of the, the, the wealthy aristocracy of England and then the downstairs of where all the servants and the help are, you know, and just sort of seeing these, this, these two different classes living under the same roof. And it's almost as if the kingdom is saying, we're inviting you upstairs. We've got the great hall prepared for you, the finest food prepared on fine china, great entertainment. Come on, have a seat. 
Maybe I'm making too much of this. I don't know. I don't think I am. It's okay. Somebody will tell me. Chuck will tell me if it's wrong, right? It's almost like, come on and sit down here. You are guest upstairs. And it's almost as if after we've had a few bites, right? Almost, right after we've had a few bites, Jesus comes along and says, all right, guys, you've gotten a little bit. I need your help with something. And he takes us and he leads us downstairs. And he says, okay, guys, who wants to help wash dishes? Right? Who wants to help serve? Who wants to be a scullery maid today? Raise your hand. And Jesus is saying, I'm, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to be the footman today. Who wants to help me with that? And we look and we think, Gee, I, Jesus, I thought we were the, the honored guests. And Jesus says, you are. This is what the honored guests do. We get to serve other people. And that's, that's the paradox of his kingdom is that we are both guests at his table, but we're also servants. And what does he say to the servants? He says this, I like the, the different translation says, he says, go out into the streets and alleys in the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the lame. Um, so they do that. He says, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in that my house may be full. That's, I gotta stop right there for a minute. That's like... That's the heart of the Father right there. Looking at his servants, saying, guys, this cannot be. We cannot have empty places here. Go. Go as far as you need to go. Don't just send out an invitation in the mail. Get out there and compel them to come in. Urge them to come in. Tell them how good the food is. Tell them how big the table is. Tell them about all the stuff. Tell them about the, the live music that we've got planned. Go tell them that there is a master here who wants them to be a part of it and urge them to come in. And this is, it's a call to action for us. And you know, so I, you know, this, is, this has been turning over in my mind even as we're building this church together. That, 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 that tension between you know, sitting at the feet of Jesus but also working, you know, in the, in the, in out there in the things that he's called us to do. We need to be both. Y'all are quiet today. It's spring break. Y'all are already tuned out, aren't you? You're already on the beach somewhere just chilling. I hear you. Come on. Let me read this to you. This will get you fired up. This is the heart of God from Isaiah 25. And my eyes are bad, and it's printed on, like, yellow ink, so I'll go like that. Listen to this. Come on. Listen to this. Isaiah 25. This is good news. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food. So y'all say rich food. Come on. Oh, I'm so hungry right now. For all people. Y'all say all people. Who's doing it? God's doing it. What is it? Rich food. Who's it for? Everybody. A banquet of aged wine. Y'all like some good aged wine? Good vintage stuff? Come on. The best of meats. You guys ever been to, what's the place right here at the summit? The, uh, that little Brazilian, yeah, that little, yeah. Okay, we went there one time for, I think, I don't know, Valentine's, birthday, something. Come on. Oh. <laughs> Just all you can, they bring the little skewer around with like the meat on it. How much do you want? They slice it off. They come back in five minutes, do it again. They come back in five minutes, do it again. I'm just, that's what the kingdom is like. That's exactly it. How much do you want? All you can eat. The very best stuff on earth. 
And obviously, it's not really about food. You know that, right? I mean, it is, because I believe in heaven, we're going to eat all we want all the time. But it's, 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 a, it's, it's metaphorical for just every good thing that we can imagine God has for us. Everything that meets the needs of our hearts. The, the, the best family Thanksgiving you can ever imagine. Some of you are thinking, I've never had a good family Thanksgiving. I can't imagine one at all. Are you kidding me? Put on your imagination caps and imagine a great one where everybody is just laughing and eating the entire time, followed by a huge nap. A banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people. The sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. I love that. Just swallow it up. It's gone. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces and remove the disgrace of his people. All right. Brian, come on up. I want to close with this one with another story. I love stories. There's a movie that came out, I bet it's been 20 years ago, called Antoine Fisher. I don't know if it probably wasn't on anybody's radar. It's a great, it's a true story, by the way. Antoine Fisher. And the movie stars Denzel Washington. And um, it's a story of a young African, African-American man who was abandoned at birth by an incarcerated mother. Lived his life in foster care and just different juvenile centers. A life of um, just difficulty, a lot of anger there. On his 18th birthday, he joins the Navy, where his anger towards life brims up to the surface on a regular basis. He keeps getting in fights, and the Navy is about to kick him out, and they finally send him to a, Navy, uh, a naval counselor, played by Denzel Washington, to help him talk through some of his anger issues. And the psychologist uh, encourages Antoine to go and find his roots. He says, you need to find, go and find your roots, go and find your mom, go and find your dad. Maybe that'll help you get some healing to what's going on. So he does. Fisher goes in and begins to make some phone calls, and he learns that his mom is indeed alive. He reaches out. She's living in Cleveland. Turns out he has an aunt and an uncle there too, and the aunt and uncle agree to meet up with Antoine and take him to visit his mom. They escort him to this dilapidated apartment building. They walk him up. He says, I'll go in. You guys wait here. His estranged mother is living there and knocks on the door and this suspicious, aloof, sort of just beat down woman answers the door. She looks at him, doesn't say a word, but she knows who is standing there. It's her son that she abandoned, gave up at birth. She retreats to another room, just goes and sits on the couch, doesn't say a word, begins to cry silently. Antoine is angry, understandably. He follows her in, begins to ask her, begins to question, ask her for some explanation as to why. Why did you leave me? Why did you never come and find me? What did I do that was so terrible? Why did you never come in and seek me out? She doesn't answer anything. She just sits, stares ahead. She doesn't look at him. Just tears roll down her face. She stares ahead. Fisher knows he's not going to get any kind of real answer from her. A few minutes later, he just reaches over and he kisses her on the cheek and he turns and he walks away. And he leaves the apartment with his questions unanswered and he rides back to his aunt and his uncle's house. 
you can just see, if you're watching the movie and see the scene, you can just see just the heaviness that's there. Unanswered questions and unresolved grief. He exits the car, begins to walk up, and he enters the front door, but something is different. His world instantly changes. As he opens the door, there's a chorus of cheers from about 50 or more relatives all crammed in the house, clapping and cheering for him. And some of them have big signs that say, welcome home, Antoine. One of them runs up and gives him a big hug and says, I'm your cousin, introduces himself. Another one comes up and says, my name is Edward. I was named after your father. Everybody's giving him high fives and clapping and cheering for him. And he's meeting this aunt and this uncle and this person and this cousin and this. And he didn't realize he had all these people at all at home. You know, and it is, of course, his aunt and his uncle were in the whole time, right? And they begin to lead him back to a next room where a great feast is spread out on this table and the camera pans across the table and there's like chicken and potatoes and, you know, casserole and, and just pancakes and just a spread people crowding around. At the end of the table is an old woman. She has to be like 95 years old. Right? (laughs) And as the clamor quiets, the elderly woman sitting behind the table, she knocks to get his attention. And he's just overwhelmed by all this. This is the first time in his life that he has been adored by anyone in his life. The first time that he feels accepted at all. And there's knock at the table and the old woman sort of sticks up a bony finger and kind of waves, come on over here. You know, and he makes his way over there and she says, lean down. And she leans down and she just gets real close to his face and she just says, welcome. That's how the movie ends. Kinda. I watch that. That's, that's the heart of God. That's the kingdom of God right there. Spend all of our time looking for answers, all of our time sort of filled with this, you know, uh, just anger and uncertainty and regret or whatever it is, whatever it is that is poisoning us. And God says, look, I've got a place for you. I've got a family for you. I've got a place for you. Welcome. You're welcome here. You know, so it's, it's just, that's, that's part of our calling Part of our calling is to come and respond to that invitation to be a part of what God's doing. Not because we're righteous, but frankly, because we're unrighteous. We have nothing to offer God. We have nothing to prove our worth. But also once we're there, God is saying, go out and bring more in. Compel them to come in that my house may be filled. So I dream about that. I do. I dream about filling this place and filling these chairs, you know, and filling maybe that room over there. How many seats are there? Wouldn't that be awesome to fill that with just 500 of like the people that are just so close to the heart of God, addicts who find hope? Amen to that. People that are are, that are that are sick and diseased that find healing. Marriages that are on the rocks that find redemption filled with those kind of people. People that are angry, released of their rage, and they, find, they, they just find peace in the Lord. People that were lost that come home. Wouldn't it be awesome to have this place so filled with just all of those kind of people, not that fit the bill, 
right? Not the ones that can give and tithe a lot or, or would be great on a board or on a committee. Wouldn't it be great if just we had so many people here that were the kind that Jesus wants at his table? That's what I want to see. And I know it's messy. I know it's difficult. I know it's going to like rub some of us the wrong. I'm going to be the first to say it's going to rub me the wrong way, right? I'm already like this morning, I was already walking around with a little sweeper, sweeping up donut crumbs because the kids were getting donut muss everywhere. And the Lord was saying, you think that's messy? Just wait. Because Jesus would be on the ground with them getting donut stuff everywhere too. So I need to get over myself and what I think respectability needs to look like. Because Jesus has made it clear that his church is not for the respectable. It's for the poor in spirit. He says that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not mine, unless I'm poor in spirit too. And I can be. I can be made poor in spirit as I yield to Jesus every day. As I yield to his, his version of reality in my life, as he calls me on the carpet of things, as he tells me that I'm really not all that much that I think I am. He loves me, but there's a whole lot of work to do. That makes me poor in spirit all of a sudden. That makes me dependent upon him all of a sudden. That makes me aware of my own poverty before him. All of a sudden I find, you know what? I've got a place in the kingdom now. It's an upside down thing. The last shall be first, the first shall be last. So let's stand together. I wanna pray this over us. I do, I wanna pray it over us. Hold on, I need some water, one second. That's why we have a fridge. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we want to be a kingdom kind of church. We want to be a church, Lord, where you are honored, where you write the guest list. You write the guest list, Lord Jesus, for King's Church. You determine who is worthy to come in this place, not me, not us, not some membership committee. You determine that, Lord God. And we have a sense for the kind of people that you want to be here. And we're going to say, Lord Jesus, let's do it together. We'll go out. We'll invite them. We'll bring them in. We'll tell them how beautiful you are. We'll tell them how great the kingdom is. We'll tell them how great the family of God is. We'll tell them that they're going to be loved and accepted unconditionally, no matter what they've done in the past. We'll tell them that there's hope for all of the things that are, that are shackling them down. We'll tell them that there's freedom from addiction and freedom from sin and freedom from hopelessness. We'll tell them these things and we'll bring them in because they have a place for you at your table. And Lord, we're gonna make room. We'll give up our seats. We'll say, no, look, there's more room. Come on in. Father, give us that heart. Give us that heart, Lord, because we know that you have that kind of heart as well. All right, y'all, I'm not sure how to close this apart from let's just go into worship. Let's just let the Lord minister to us. We, we give this invitation every week. If we can pray healing for you, Megan, Megan Chucker here and others here can pray. Come on up to the front. If we can pray uh, something specific for you. I don't have any specific words of knowledge today. That's okay though. God heals all the time. He doesn't have to give me words on my phone to do it. He does it all the time. If you need 
Uh, anything at all that you want to have prayer about, we can pray for you about that as well. What's the kingdom like? What's the king like? He has a big heart and a big place for us. And maybe, maybe he wants us to expand our borders and say the people that we think shouldn't be in God's kingdom, maybe God is saying that's the very ones I'm about to bring in. If you trust me, if you go out, if you open your mouth, watch what I do.